Hello, I'm Thomas Avihana, Stratfor Global Security Analyst at RAIN. This podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, RAIN's premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analyses. Sign up for the free Stratfor newsletter at worldview.stratfor.com. stopped and he looked at me a part of it and he said, you know, it's not your fault because he said it. And he was a guy who had gone through it too. And I felt like, like all of a sudden he could offer the absolution that nobody else had been able to grant me thus far. You're listening to the Pen and Sword podcast from Stratfor, a rain company. I'm Emily Donahue. It is my pleasure to tell you that this podcast is about a recently released book, a book about a defense intelligence agency operative, a DIA agent named Matt Drake. Matt Drake, who was introduced to readers just one year ago by the author Don Bentley. And I am also very excited to say that Don Bentley is here to talk about Matt Drake, his books, and what it's like to be catapulted into massive fame in less than a year. Welcome back to the Pen and Sword podcast series, Don. Thanks for having me again, Emily. Well, let's talk about your latest book, The Outside Man, which opens in the middle of downtown Austin, literally with a crash and a bang. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about where Matt Drake has landed and what he's up against? Sure. So as you as you mentioned before, um, this is book two in the Matt Drake series. And um, I have, have been fortunate enough to uh, take a while to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And so I got to do a lot of fun jobs between flying uh, Apache helicopter pilots and being an FBI agent and, and SWAT guy. And what I tell folks is it isn't so much um, the fun job I got to do as the people I got to meet while doing those jobs. And so when I was an FBI agent, um, my job was to run and recruit what we call sources and what folks in the intelligence community call assets and so I got to to rub shoulders with folks with uh, from other agencies who had actually done that job. And so I modeled um, my character, my protagonist, Matt Drake. He's, as you said, is a, is a DIA operative and he's a case officer and his job is to run and recruit assets. And so one of the things you learn by talking to those folks who do that work overseas is that um, and, and some of them have to do that under um, legends or false identities or or, or what have you are all the different um, all the different precautions and such that they put in place so that the work that they do overseas never follows them back home. And and I was talking to one of the folks I'd met and, and he described this almost visceral reaction um, that he had when he finally landed back on, on U.S. soil and felt like he could breathe again because everything that was important to him was here, his family, his whatever. But the work that he did, the very dangerous work he did was over there. And so when he said that, you know, it kind of pinged something in me as a writer. And I thought, man, that's really interesting. I wonder what would happen if if the, the, the dangerous stuff he does over there s- somehow found a way to follow him home, if you will. And so that was kind of the first question I asked as the writer. And then the second question is, what would what are all the things that would have to go wrong in order for that to happen? And so being being a good writer, um, I wanted to make my protagonist suffer through those things. And so 
as you referenced, the book starts off um, with Matt Drake being back in Austin, which is his hometown, and uh, the bad things um, that are typically left over there follow him back to Austin, and that's how the book starts. One thing about Drake's experiences, they're generally feet-first plunges into global <laughs> geopolitics. In this case, we're talking about Iraq and the Middle East. Um, mm -hmm. Kirkus Reviews called your last book a thriller with heart, and this one was to me as well, because amid all of the action and adventure, you weave in deep humanity. I mean, Drake runs as a human being, not just a yeah. gun-toting agent. Um, in this book, Drake encounters a young Yazidi woman. Can you yep. remind listeners about what happened to such women in Iraq? Yeah, so it was... It was horrific, and and having said that, the watching the rise and fall of ISIS um, from being safe here in the states, you watch um, what's happening there, and, and and what's happening both to to normal people who who are living somewhere that suddenly you have this horribly radical form of Islam that's this apocalyptic almost form of Islam that's imposed on them, and and then. You know, you kept seeing these stories about what was happening to women over there specifically, and and what ISIS had done, and is that they decided one of the ways to re to reward um, some of their fighters and their foreign fighters is to provide these men with wives, and and so um, most women probably don't think a a Islamic jihad jihadi is a great catch. And so the, the way that ISIS solved that problem is, is they issued an edict that said, if you were part of X, Y, or Z minority group, you could um, be forced to become married and essentially become a prostitute because that marriage would last as long as the man wanted it to be. And, and so you saw, you know, from a Western standpoint, these horrible things happening, but there were still some distance right there, right? There was some safety. You could you could turn off the television. You didn't have to think about it this much. And so I I started thinking about it and 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 wanted to do know more about it. And so I read this book called The Last Girl by Nadia Murad. And and it is her tale of being a Yazidi in Iraq who ends up being sex trafficked by ISIS. And it just ripped away and, and laid bare all the distance I tried to put in that topic and what actually happened to her and, and to countless other um, minorities and Yazidis like that. And it, it was it was such a horrific practice. And, and she was so incredibly brave to to come back and tell the world what had happened and tell it in excruciating detail as it happened to her. It just really, really grabbed me. And, and I knew I had to work it into my book. Without letting any plot points escape, how you weave this story thread into the overall plot is really well worth the read. Um, I did enjoy this book very much, not just the nonstop action, but um, the humor. I laughed out loud about four times in the first couple <laughs> chapters. And uh, usually because, you know, Drake calls it like he sees it, but he sees things a little in his own way, you know? Sure. Is his humor yours? Yeah, it is a lot of my humor, but for sure, one of the big, big influences on my writing is Nelson DeMille, and in particular, his John Corey series. And I remember I remember reading the first one of those books, which was Plum Island. And when I got done with it, I remember thinking, man, I would read about that guy going to the gas station and pumping his car full of gas because he's so... And, and he also writes a first-person, very witty protagonist, and the voice is so engaging and it's so much fun to hang out with that guy that I thought 
you know, I'm I'm certainly not. When you're a writer, you can be a whole lot wittier than you are in, in real life because you can spend hours thinking about the joke and perfecting it. You don't have to be able to do it in real time there. But I thought, you know, w- one of the one of the truisms or one of the things people say about writers, especially new writers starting out, is that you want to be the same but different, and and that means that the same in that the genre you're writing in, you're going to bring something that is similar to the reader so they understand why your book is shelved next to, you know, Brad Taylor or Mark Greeny or, or somebody like that. But Brad Taylor and Mark Greeny already write incredible Brad Taylor and Mark Greeny books. You know, <laughs> you don't need to write another one of those. And so what are you going to bring to the genre that's different? And so I wrote um, two books that didn't sell um, that were that were third person protagonists. And then I read Nelson DeMille's books and, and realized, you know, as you were kind of alluding to, I'm some of that humor is mine anyway. And so I wrote a third book, which was the first one that Matt kind of appeared in and I fleshed him out a little. And then when I wrote Without Sanction, I decided to go all in in that. I'm like, I'm going to write it in that same witty first person um, protagonist, that gallows humor. Because a lot of times, you know, when you, again, I, I was fortunate enough to hang out with a lot of interesting people, folks like that tend to have a a gallows humor when things are, are very, very dark, because that's that's one of the ways that you maintain your sanity. And there aren't a lot of books that reflect that and not a lot of authors that write that. And so I thought, you know, if I could bring that to the book and I could do it well, that might be something that, that perhaps differentiates me or gives me that same but different. Now, I have to say that my my wife is my first reader and she's she's really, really good. She has a great sense of story. But she also will let me in, engage my obsessive qualities in that a lot of times when she's reading the first draft, I'll watch to see where she laughs exactly mm-hmm. lo- like what you said. And then then I'll ask her, I'm like, what part did you read? And she tells me. And I'm like, well, what about three pages before that? And she's like, no, 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 that wasn't really funny. And then I'm trying to explain the joke to her. And she's trying to tell me that if I have to explain the joke to her, it's really not that funny to begin with. So we <laughs> go back and forth with that quite a bit. But I appreciate you commenting on that. It is something I deliberately try and do and hopefully bring to my books that are a little bit different than what's currently out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love how he he talks almost directly to the reader with mm-hmm. that humor. You know, I read a lot of reviews on Goodreads from normal readers, not just. <laughs> and uh, the first person narrative was really a big hit. Um, mm-hmm. So congratulations to you. Thank you. Thank um, you. You know, as you mentioned, your own background outside of writing is pretty impressive. You mentioned the Army Apache helicopter piloting. Mm -hmm. Uh, You deployed to Afghanistan. You received awards. Um, I remember the last time you were on the Pen and Sword podcast, you talked about how awesome it was to fly the Apache. (laughs) No, 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 it is. It absolutely is. Well, you use your own experiences, as you mentioned, to develop your storylines but your hero right now has PTSD. I assume your work left some scars as well. Sure. Uh, yep. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So and so the first book in the series, Without Sanction, was very much um, a story of redemption. And it, you know, one of the things um, also about learning to be a writer and, and getting good enough at your craft is figuring out what works and what doesn't and and why. And so one of my good friends is Nick Petrie, who um, writes the the Peter Ash series. His first book is called The Drifter, and it's this phenomenal series. And, and, and one of the things that 
Nick said is, you know, in a really good book, um, the writer is trying to answer a question for themselves in the pages as they're writing. And that, and that, you know, what, what separates a good book or a great book from a good book is how vulnerable the, the writer is willing to be as they're writing that book. And so in Without Sanction, like I said, it's, it's very much a story of redemption in that um, Matt has an operation that, that goes tragically wrong and it results in the death of, of um, an asset of his and it, and it horribly disfigures his best friend Frodo. And he thinks that, that he's at fault for that. And so, you know, my time in Afghanistan, there was one operation that went tragically wrong on, on June 28th, 2005, and, and that there was a helicopter um, I was escorting that was shot down and, and I couldn't stop it. And it happened right in front of me. And, and there were, uh, up until um, that point, the, the, the no, it, it was infamous for being the most SEALs killed in the history of the SEALs died on that day that died in that helicopter. And then the three on the ground that also died. And so when that happens, that point in time, it's this moment that you can't get back but you desperately want to. And and so you spend, you know, a lot, at least for me, a lot of time after that saying, you know, how, how do I, what happens next for me? How do I, um, how do I make up for the fact that I'm still here and those, those people aren't, or how do I atone for it maybe? And so that's what um, without sanction was a whole lot is Matt wrestling with those same questions of, you know, in your head that you can't ever get that moment in time back again, but is there still something of significance left for you in this life? Or was that it? Was that the one thing that you had been put on this earth to do and it went the wrong way and now what? And so I've wrestled with that a lot. And so Matt wrestled a lot with that and without sanction. In my second book, The Outside Man, Matt, uh, when it starts, Matt has left the Defense Intelligence Agency and he and his wife are back in Austin and they're doing together what they said they were going to do and it should be great and there's no reason why it's not but it's but but it's not for Matt he he feels completely cut off and he doesn't understand why and so that was another thing that I took from my own um, journey that I think lots of folks who were in the military and then experience it when you get out is there this sense that when you're in the military you're a part of something noble and it's something bigger than yourself and what you do matters in ways that are more than just the paycheck that you collect every two weeks. And when you leave that and you leave everyone who understands that and go to normal society, suddenly you're the odd person out and and you don't even understand why you are. You just know that your value system, that part of you that makes you you is tied up in something that is different than anyone around you. And and for me, the way that that looked is that after 10 years in the army, I finished my last assignment in Germany. We got out, we moved back, my wife and I are high school sweethearts. So we both moved, we moved back to our hometown and our parents were there and our family was there and I had a great job and everyone was happy and every, except for me. And, and I couldn't figure out for the life of me why, like there was, there was no reason why I shouldn't be happy, but I wasn't. And and so I think that was another thing that I had to wrestle through that transition period, that sense of what what is your identity now? Who are you without that fact that you used to fly Apache helicopters or you used to do whatever? And I remember thinking at one point sitting in my cubicle, there's going to be a day where I've sat in this cubicle 
longer than I flew Apache helicopters. And then who am I going to be? I'm just going to be another guy sitting in a cubicle. And so I, I, I very much wanted Matt to have to struggle with that too, where there's where there's something he loves his wife very, very much that she's his soulmate, but there's something that's wrong with him that he can't tell her, not because he's trying to hide it from her, but because he can't articulate himself what's wrong. And so that was, like I said, very much the the, the core emotional issue that he has to deal with um, in The Outside Man. That is such a touching story. When you were speaking, I was thinking about how, you know, you described the incident in 2005 that mm-hmm. sort of left some big emotions to overcome. And the book, we watch this kind of stuff on the big screen. We read it in our head. PTSD has become uh, part yeah. of the vernacular of conversation. However, understanding it is a much bigger deal and understanding that what you went through was real life and not a thriller or a big screen movie. Yeah, I think it's in in the crazy part or maybe the insidious part is they go hand in hand in that most of the folks don't start working through um, what they experienced when they were deployed until they're out of the military. And when they're out of the military, that's when they're cut off from everybody else who does understand what they went through and, 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 and can kind of provide that perspective. And for me, it was very much, you know, I, I was fortunate enough after I got done um, working the job that, that I was just talking to you about that I went in the FBI. And, and again, that was more of the sense of, Hey, th- this, what I'm doing is noble here. This is a, a sense of higher purpose. And then I left to go work um, with a friend of mine who was a veteran who who formed a small company here in Texas and his name was Nate self. And so he was, um, during the initial invasion in Iraq in the Battle of Takargar, he was a Ranger um, QRF leader. And there's a, a, a terrible sequence of events. It's now called Roberts Ridge, where a seal fell out of the back of a Chinook. And, and Nate was the Ranger team leader who went to try and rescue him. And, and his helicopter was shot down and a bunch of his guys were killed. And, and there was nothing that he could do to stop it. And so at some point, you know, I was that obviously very much resonated with Nate. And I was talking to him about my experiences and he stopped and he looked at me a part of it and he said, you know, it's not your fault. And there was nothing magical about what he said that my wife hadn't said that, you know, other friends of mine hadn't said, but because he said it and he was a guy who had gone through it too. I felt like, like all of a sudden he could offer the absolution that nobody else had been able to grant me thus far. And so when I when I got to tour, I was I was fortunate with without sanction that I got to do some of the book tour um, before COVID shut everything down. And there were quite a few, you know, my first book tour when I stopped back at my hometown, there was a guy sitting in the front row who I'd flown with in Afghanistan and happened oh, wow. to hear me on the radio. Yeah, and he came to the book signing that night, and we spent you know an hour and a half or two hours after that talking about Afghanistan and his story and what had happened. And the thing that, you know, that, that I tell veterans all the time is like, don't, don't be that person that shuts yourself off from that community because you're, because you think I'm done with that part of my life. Um, I don't, they, they were my friends for a period of time, but now I'm moving on to this because that's when you're going to start processing what you've spent the last X number of years to do it. And that's where it gets dangerous when you don't have someone who can sit at the table 
and look at you and say, it's not your fault. And you believe them because they've been there before. And, and that's the, that's the thing I think I want, I want people to hear. Yeah. It's like, you never get over losing your parent or when the, yep. you know, they say, when you lose your parent, your, these memories are always going to be with you. And yep. uh, that's really, really beautiful that you share that with your audience. Um, so, you know, Matt Drake's first adventure without sanction, as you mentioned, was a huge hit, huge hit. And so I promised people at the beginning of this interview, what we would talk about is what it's been like over the past few years from <laughs> essentially pitching a book to becoming a best-selling author, to getting a book deal and praise galore, and even <laughs> taking on the job of writing someone else's series. So. It It has been crazy. And, and I have to say, I'm, I'm, pretty much an overnight success in the fact that it took me 17 years and three books <laughs> that didn't sell to write without sanction. And the, you know, the crazy part about being a writer is there are, and, and if you're fortunate enough to to be able to write and, and sell books is that it happens very, very slowly in the beginning. And so when Tom Colgan, my editor for Berkeley bought um, without sanction in a two book deal, it was almost 18 months um, from when we my my agent Barbara Powell closed the deal until the book came out. And so, you know, that's a forever amount of time where nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And then all of a sudden the book comes out and you're writing another book. And and when I as you alluded to, when I turned in um without sanction, which again was about a year ago, at the end of that call, uh, my editor is the same editor who who does the Tom Clancy series and he offered me the opportunity to write um in the Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan Jr. universe. And so now all of a sudden where you've gone, like literally for me, it was 17 years of failure after failure after failure. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I'm like, holy cow, like in the in the space of a year, I'll have so, <laughs> so the, the first um, Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan Jr. one, I got the co-write is called Target Acquired. And that comes out in less than two and a half months. And so, so you're you know, still on this book tour and then you have yes, another one to, <laughs> yes, it's crazy. And, and so, I mean, it has really been, um, amazing. It's, it's been a, a ton of, you were, you were talking to me a little bit before we started recording about the amount of work and it's been a crazy, crazy amount of work, but what it's, it's also been so, so rewarding in this this genre, I feel like, is the best genre you would ever want to write in because the writers are so supportive, and there have been so many, you know, from like I said, like Brad Taylor to Mark Graney to you know Kyle Mills, so many good people who I didn't really know who have gone out of their way to help me, and then the fans are just incredible. Like you talked about reading some of the reviews for Without Sanction or The Outside Man, and there were, you know, obviously any any time you write something, it's not going to be for anybody. But there are so many good reviews of people who go out of their way just to say positive things. And kind of my favorite one, and I, and, and I think you were alluding to it a little bit before, is I get a lot of folks on there who say, you know what, this isn't usually my genre, but I love this book. And I love the characters in it. I love, the, I love Matt's heart. I love that he's in love with his wife. I love these things that I wouldn't expect to see in this genre and I see in this book. And those are... You know, I, you love any kind of good review, right? Where somebody says something something good about um, your book, but those ones are my absolute favorite. That said, man, if I can, if, if there are people who don't normally read this or who read the book under duress because their husband or boyfriend or friend 
said, you have to read this book. And then they liked it. I think, well, then maybe there's something, something about Matt that really resonates with people. Well, I have to ask you, uh, we know the Jack Ryan book is coming out in uh, mm-hmm. June. When's yep. the next Matt Drake book coming? So the um, when, when he, my editor off, also offered me the opportunity to, to write the Tom Clancy books, he bought books three and four in the Matt Drake series too. So I'm actually frantically writing, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm frantically writing Matt Drake three um, now, which is due in July. So, and, and it just made me throw up a little bit when, when I said that it's due in four months, but that book should come out. I believe it's going to be in May of 2022. So you might get too much Don Bentley, but you'll get the next Jack Ryan book here in June. And then um, the next Matt book, number three, about 11 months later. So. That's really impressive that you can stick to that one book a year target, you know, with everything else going on. So. It that's is awesome. it is really crazy, but that's another one where um, both Brad Taylor and Mark Graney for a long time are writing two books a year, and both of them were kind enough to let me kind of pick their brains and figure out how they did it. And they're both they're both incredible guys, but they're both they approach it from two different um, places. So Mark Graney is is very very affirming and very very you can do it. It's going to be hard, but, you know, you just buckle down and do it. And then Brad Taylor's like, it was the last worst three years of my life. It was so hard. I still got, but they're, but they're both like incredibly, um, incredibly supportive and, and were not nice enough to kind of let me ask them a bunch of stupid questions about what that process is like. So again, like I said, this genre is, is such a fantastic genre, both from the fans and the fellow writers funny that you found yourself in a genre that had as much camaraderie as as your previous um, military experience so that's really perfect circle absolutely absolutely don bentley is the author of the new book with matt drake entitled the outside man it was released in march 2021 yes his next book will be released in june and another one after that next may don thank you so much for being here thanks for having me emily it was awesome Stay up to date on geopolitics with the free Stratfor Worldview newsletter from Rain. It's full of geopolitical updates from our team of expert analysts. Sign up at worldview.stratfor.com. That's worldview.stratfor.com.